You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. And this week it is the Tucson Takeover because I am joined by a veritable clan of uh, Tucson Mug members. I have with me here today, uh, Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Good morning. Morning. And uh, we have Roger. Hello, Roger. Buenos dias. Hello. (laughs) We have uh, David. Yes. Hello, Simon. Hello. And uh, is that all? Have I done everybody or have I missed somebody? I've missed Bob, haven't I? You missed Bob. Yeah, and Bob. So here we go. Uh, all, of course, uh, members not only of the Tucson Mug, but uh, part of the MyMac family and contributors to that uh, website. And uh, so here we are. Um, I don't know how this is going to go with so many guests, but we'll uh, we'll just soldier on regardless, I think. Um, this week, of course, uh, was uh, the shareholder meeting, Apple's shareholder meeting where uh, Uncle Tim, you know, held forth. Um, There were questions about privacy, politics. There were questions about diversity um, and a whole lot of other things. So uh, I guess, uh, did you boys follow any of that? Or, um, you know, are you, uh, you know, particularly up to date with what happened at the shareholder meeting? I have not had a chance to listen to it as yet. No, no, I have not either. No, uh, probably like me. I have. in the notes, uh, I have managed to find uh, on YouTube a guy called Hunter S um, has posted a complete, uh, a nearly two-hour video shot on his iPhone uh, of the investor meeting. So, should anybody want to, uh, you know, listen to the thing in full, I have a link for that. Um, Apple Three, which is uh, El- Elmer Dewitt, I believe, um, posted a piece. Uh, in the Steve Jobs Theatre, Apple shareholders eat the air in a promise crammed. Uh, well, I think he's run out of uh, space in his headline there, but uh, apparently <laughs> Apple is planting seeds and rolling the dice on a long, great roadmap of fantastic products set to blow you away. Um, and I think he's quoting there, or at least uh, paraphrasing, uh, Uncle Tim. Apparently. Well, it's, it, it's interesting there that uh, Apple. Apple has actually said they're considering lowering prices, which is somewhat for them. Yes, that's uh, that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's not normally. Although, um, what what did he say precisely? It was something we are aware of the we are aware of the price issue, something. Well, he said that the the uh, goal was to lower the price of the twelve hundred dollar MacBook Air, with and bring it out with a higher resolution screen. Uh, oh, right. But that's just part of a long, great roadmap of fantastic products limited <laughs> to apple watch and AirPods. okay very good um well that, that's nice isn't it um i suppose we could all i'm sure everybody would be happy with a few uh, dollars shaved off the price of apple gear um it's certainly some of late some of it has become you know really quite pricey um 
He also promised that there would be more health features coming to the smartwatch. But uh, he apparently, according to this, has declined to expand on that very much. Um, apparently, there was a, a bit of a kerfuffle about diversity. Um, according to one of the reports, uh, some, some people were going on about uh, diversity in the Apple board. But apparently, when it was... Uh, when somebody said, can we just move on, there was a, a large round of applause and the diversity uh, proposal was voted down by 98%, apparently. So, uh, <laughs> I think the shareholders are more worried about whether the shares perform all right than uh, how many, you know, um, minority or other uh, diversity type people are on the board, which... Uh, it is true. We we all know, don't we? The Apple board does basically consist of old white guys. So <laughs> there we go. Um, that's tech, I think. It's full of old white guys like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. The world is changing. Yeah. But, yep. Uh, you know, you got to have a little bit of vitamin time to allow it all to work. So yep. It's, good. it's just going to take time. But it's headed, I think, the right direction. So. Yep, I I think so too. I mean, you know, Apple certainly uh, are not uh, they're not averse to you know having putting forward women to power, positions of power, are they? I mean, they uh, you know they've had Angela Arendt and now the um, was it De Deirdre? Right. Um, she she's head of people and retail. Yeah. Um, uh, here just, we are. It, it's you know it, being a retired uh, professional engineer. Uh, way back in the class of uh, 75, uh, we didn't have a single female uh, in our graduating class here at the university. And now I think they're about 45% female in the College of Engineering here at the University of Arizona. Don't quote me on that exact number, but I know it has become very, very uh, incurred uh, uh, to see that diversity building in just in the male-female and uh, uh, race wise you know, it's uh, I think it's also uh, improved highly. Uh, you know, that's what 40, 40, I can't do the math. <laughs> it's been a long time. Then, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of vitamin time there. Yeah, well, there we go. I mean, uh, here we go. Uh, on CNET, uh, Tim said, we are open to people from all walks of life, noting that this includes political points of view, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, and he encouraged anyone with concerns to say something. We live in a polarised world, he said, adding he doesn't believe it needs to be, and he doesn't check people at the door about their beliefs. So there we go. Um, I think I think Tim's made it perfectly clear uh, plenty of times that he doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't hold with any sort of racism, sexism, ageism, or anything else. So there we go. Yeah, that's that's good. Um, what else they? Uh, what else did they report? Um, uh, Tim Cook hit out at companies like Facebook as well, of course, uh, saying anything that collects personal data and uses it against customers should not exist. Um, well, I think most of us agree with that, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> It is getting creepy. It's a question of controlling it. That's the that's the issue. Yes, that's true. Um, I, I was on um, Bart Bouchot's show yesterday, and um, when this subject came up, I, I mentioned um, a piece I'd, I'd read, or two pieces, in fact, uh, about uh, one one was a woman who was attempting to conceal her pregnancy from Facebook, not. Um, you know, not from people in real life, but she just didn't want Facebook particularly. And she was uh, wrote an article about how that didn't work. Um, and on the 
on the other side, um, well, there was a woman who said she decided to fake a pregnancy and see how long it would take Facebook to start sending her, um, you know, maternity-related adverts. So she um, she downloaded an app called uh, What to Expect, um, you know, obviously, which is about being pregnant. And within 11 hours, Facebook was sending her um, pregnancy-related advertising. So there you go. Just to prove they're hoovering up everything in sight. Yep. Not only has he hit out there, of course, he also gave an interview where he was talking about privacy and health. Um, this one's reported on the Mac Observer. I, I mean, has anybody seen any of these particularly? Or uh, health? Well, yeah, the uh, uh, the health records one is uh, Tim Cook is definitely aware of apps which have shared health information to Facebook. Um, yeah. Ooh. I haven't seen that here, but I do really appreciate the health capability between the uh, the watch and uh, and my iPhone. Yes, uh, that's and I know my medical providers here are slowly, slowly but surely uh, entering into this uh, uh, online cloud uh, uh, record sharing and that. But it makes me a little bit nervous because uh, I don't. Uh, they're not all Apple users, and uh, who's doing their uh, security and uh, encrypting and what have you but uh, fortunately uh, nothing yet has shown up in, in my facebook or twitter account it looks like uh, they're tracking my health no that's that's good i mean uh, basically um <clears throat> apple um you know through through tim have uh, not only said that they want to expand their you know their work in the, the health and fitness uh, sphere um but also, uh, you know, he's very much pushing Apple as, as the way because, you know, you can trust us with your with your uh, private health information. Well, they've started uh, a, a program with the Veterans Administration, so that's kind of the prototype for everybody to uh, have health records on their uh, iPhone so that they can, first of all, make it portable so no matter doctor they go to, they'll have their information that they can voluntarily uh, provide without, you know, through the clipboard routine every time they walk into a doctor's office. Yeah, um, yes, that that came up uh, yesterday as well, because um, as Bart said, um, and maybe it's, it's slightly less of an issue in this country with the National Health Service, but it still is a thing. If you, you know, if you change hospitals uh, or health providers for whatever reason, or, you know, simply move around the country, your your health notes have to go with you and um obviously the whole va thing is meant to uh enable veterans to have their own uh you know uh agency over their own health notes so that they can go basically to any you know any hospital and have their notes uh with them rather than um you know rather than relying on the hospitals to pass the information one to the next um which i you know doesn't seem like a big deal to us here in the UK, like I say, with the with the National Health Service. But obviously, in your uh, you have a different model there, and I'm pretty sure that often the hospitals have nothing to do with each other. That's true. Well, it's true, and with the civilian side of it, but uh, within the veteran side of it, that's kind of a mini uh, uh, national health service. But even that just gets so so uh, messed up. Uh, over the many many years of paper records, uh, you know, it's just again going to take them time to get get into the digital age and do it right. As, as you say, Apple are um, 
providing that now as a service. So, uh, and I, oh. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a, you know, as you say, a, a kind of a prototype model for where they want to go. Yes, um, I think it's a, it's a good start. It is a good start. And I mean, uh, Apple, of course, we we know that Apple have um, put in quite a lot of effort. They provide, um, they're providing some medical clinics, aren't they, for their own, for their own staff. Yes. And um, it's been speculated that uh, perhaps Apple are looking to, you know, maybe even even um, providing health as a service. Interesting concept, I have to say. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, regulations they have to go through and uh, to make sure it's all right. But I understand they, they, they actually built a uh, prototype clinic and staffed it with medical people. I think there was a young uh, uh, lady doctor that uh, does... Uh, 20% of her work uh, actually in the emergency room, and then the, uh, the rest of it's working for Apple. Well, yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, they, they say that they've done that as a, a perk for their um, employees, but uh, se- several sort it's of... Also, um, also a beta test. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. A, lo- a lot of observers have said, you know, imagine if Apple were to go into providing uh, health care, you know, um, in the same way as they have apparently, you know, these fabulous... Um, retail stores which rake in more money than Tiffany's per square meter. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, what about if Apple were to start offering you your health care? Um, well, I think, if um, you look at uh, how much more is technology going to uh, increase <laughs> to keep up with the pace of coming out with a new phone every year, a new iPad. Uh, well, you're kind of pushing the end of the envelope. So services, uh, I, I really understand that's got to be a, a big underpinning of Apple in the future. Well, yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, um, the, the iPhone has propelled Apple to you know monstrous uh, gargant- gargantuan proportions, um, and you start to come up against the sort of law of big numbers, don't you? You just yep. cannot continue to to grow forever, or you would take over the whole world. You know, reach the point <laughs> where. What are you going to do? Make everybody buy a second phone? It's just, <laughs> so you, yeah. if, if you're going to continue to expand, you've got to you've got to expand into different areas. Um, Apple is very careful about that. They sit back and watch a category of goods oh, and take their time about uh, stepping into it to see first of all is it worth, and then if it is, uh, what can they do to make it better? Uh, and I think this is uh, perhaps the the uh, foldable iPhone thing that we were have been exposed to over the last week or from the Barcelona thing. I, it's, it, I, that, that phone is very scary to me at this point. Uh, you know, you, how many times can you fold a piece of plastic before, it, before it fails? Uh, so Apple is not, I don't think it's going to jump into this for quite a while. No, that's, that's yes. Yes. We can, we've got, I've got a couple of stories here about that, but, Obviously, the foldable is the you know buzzword of the year at the moment after Mobile exactly. World Congress. Everybody's going on about uh, foldable devices. Right. I, I was reading a piece, um, I think it was yesterday, about um, a foldable gadget. Can't remember which one now, but they they claimed that they had tested it to you know a hundred thousand folds. Um, but even that over the life of something that you take out of your pocket and flip open, what, maybe a hundred times a day? How, how long is <laughs> right. that? Well, it's, um, if it's, if it's 10 times a day, that's 3,600 folds of plastic in a year. Uh, and, yeah. and most of us, uh, open or at 
least look at our phones way more than that. So, <laughs> so I, I'm just, I, I'm the whole concept sort of is going to take some time to work out. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm somewhat skeptical to be honest. It, it's one of these things that at the minute it's very cool, it's very clever, it's right. very new, right? Um, and if you want to stand out, I guess, in what has now become a fairly standardized uh landscape right I, I i just i can see why you know everybody's rushing at it and of course um it's new and it's different so it gives everybody something to write about and take photographs of but that's right um well, i think that you know johnny ives and company um are, are taking a very careful look at this too uh, the two the two phones that are out so far one folds inward like a book the other one has a screen on the outside where the screen is folded the other way uh, and in both cases, it it puts a puts a big crease in the screen. Even even some of the press photos uh, that I've seen of the Huawei phone, um, if you look at it at an angle, you can see the wrinkle in the middle of the screen. <laughs> you know, so it's it's definitely not ready for prime time. Right. No, definitely, right. definitely the the thickness once it's good. Right. Uh, you start to get the the old brick. Yep. Does it fit in your pocket? It's right. where you want to carry it comfortably. Well, you can't put a, a, a real crease in the phone, so it's it's got to be, you know, it's like rolling the phone, uh, the screen around a pencil, you know, so that it doesn't crack. Well, right. that means that that means that the phone is going to be thick. You know? Yep. And uh, Apple's whole thing has been the last ten years has been look each 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 iteration. Look how much thinner we've gotten this thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I know. It's like. Johnny, what is your aim? To make it as thin as a credit card? I mean, right. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, including me, are like, that. that's lovely. It's really lovely. But, you know, we're not, I think we're thin enough. We don't really need to, you know, it doesn't be, can't need to be a wafer thin mint. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, but, some, um, some, go ahead. Yeah, go on. So, well, I just said some wag was saying that the, um, they're, they're wait, they they can't wait for Apple to come out with one of these phones so that it will it will stop this tidal wave of bad phones <laughs> until until this thing is is fixed by Apple. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I'm I don't really have any doubt that um, Apple have a foldable phone. You know, oh, somewhere sure deep in the deep in the bowels of their uh, design studios. But Absolutely. I think the comment that most people make is, but Apple won't release it unless they a think it's really viable and b that it's not just a fad it's not just let's do this because everybody else is doing it well that's uh, you know that's the over the over the years apple has looked at a lot of products and probably made a bunch of prototypes for them and then decided this isn't for us i mean look at netbooks the the world said that these were going to take over the world and and apple never jumped in and in fact they went away physical televisions is a good example you know with, for a while everybody was interested in digital photo frames you know, apple just stood back on that mm. yeah yeah that, that's true um what was the uh what was it oh oh yeah t um at the at the call of course um at the at the uh shareholders meeting uh tim cook said that amongst the uh you know we have a lot of stuff in development i think he said something um Something along the lines of we've got a lot of great things in development, some of which we're going to, you know, blow your socks off. Some of them might, you know, never actually come to fruition because they exactly. might not make the cut. Right. Um, and I'm sure that's how any, any design company must have to work. You know, um, engineering is not my thing, but when you're 
Um, when you're designing anything, there are often iterations that you, you look at and go, no, I don't like that. That's not going anywhere. Right. That's a dead end. Um, and, and what was it Steve used to say? You know, it's as much about the things you say no to as the things you say yes to. Exactly. <laughs> what else have we got? Oh, um, interestingly, uh, the old gap guard of Mac independent apps have been thriving for more than 25 years. Um, effectively, uh, this is on Macworld. Um, it's pointing out that there's some apps that we've probably uh, not even really noticed have been around forever. Um, but uh, 25 years ago, since uh, products like uh, BB Edit, um, uh, Graphic Converter, uh, Fetch, FTP, um, amazing. Uh, these are third parties you're talking about. Yes, these are third party yeah. products from right. independent developers. Um, BB Edit um, and uh, Graphic, yeah, Graphic Converter. Um, these apps have been going for 25 years now, mm-hmm. right? And are still going strong. Yeah, um, and that's that's you know that's a pretty big um, that's a pretty big achievement I think in technology. I mean, 25 years ago, what they're talking 1993, we're classic era. No, um, <laughs> 030 and 040 roller chips. FileMaker is uh, is actually an Apple product, but I mean that one is also. I mean, I've, yes, I've been using that for for at least 25 years. So. Yep. Yeah, that's that's um, it is it is it's it's surprising, you know. It's just you don't tend to think about it because these products have always just kind of been there, floating around, and um. Well, if if it if it's not broke. <laughs> don't fix it. It's, if it works for you, uh, it's it's wonderful. The developers will still support their product after that many years. Uh, must have a good customer base. Uh, they've probably earned the uh, appreciation from their customer base to keep using it, and uh, so they can afford to keep upgrading it. Uh, yeah, yeah. these independent developers that uh, have been able to survive outside of the Apple ecosystem. Uh, you know, some of the Security uh, things that are going on now within the Apple uh, operating system uh, might prevent uh, some of these uh, long-time developers from actually uh, being able to run on the Mac. That's that's a concern. Uh, it's just uh, it's it's an interesting situation. But again, twenty-five years—that's that's a real, real accomplishment. Yeah, that's that's uh, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure there are probably more, but those are the ones they particularly called out. Um, and, and yes, I mean, not the I think part of the the big thing is is still being not only that you know they're making a living from these apps and they've been supporting them for and developing them for twenty five years or more, but the fact that um, you know that they are still um, they're still standing as independent software houses that they, you know they've not been swallowed up by other entities which uh you know seems yeah, to happen to, to so many um you know yeah, successful moderate sized software houses so many times in the past decade products companies services are started with the intent of selling it off to somebody mm-hmm. these people bb edit and the ones mentioned here such as uh, uh the graphics one they're yeah, starting graphic converter yeah graphic converter they were started by entrepreneurs who loved the whole idea, wanted to continue with it, and have seen it as their baby, not as something, okay, let's pump this up, sell it off, and either start something new or go retire to an island in the South Pacific. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, as it says here, um, you know, uh, whilst talking about um, graphic converter, a graphic converter evolved from a simple file conversion into a full-fledged image editor, image file browser, and batch process manager. Uh, despite all of this development, Lemke says there's always a full plate of user requests for new features and workflows. Right. Further development will be assured. Um, so there you go. Um, I I talked to him several times at the very Mac World shows here, and uh, um, he still, I, probably twice a year, uh, pushes out very significant upgrades to that thing. It's just a wonderful app. It is. It is a very good app, and I think it's um, I think it's a, a sort of um, a hidden gem. Yeah. I, I think because of its name and and its you know its origin as a file format switcher. Right. I don't think a, a lot of I, there are a lot of people who don't are not aware of its full capabilities, and it is a very powerful um, graphics editor. Well, it's quite it's quite good at uh, at sort of minor um, fixes for photos. If I'm going to post a photo, prepare a, to put in a review for my Mac, for instance, I do it in Graphic Converter because I can alter the uh, resolution, and you can do basic touch-ups and so on, um, and uh, it works just fine. And it's it, because it's relatively small, it's very lightweight. It opens in an instant. It goes away when you don't need it. So I, you know, it's it's become the sort of app of choice for for uh, um, casual photo manipulation. If you want to, you know, get serious, obviously there are many other choices. But uh, uh, for just uh, one-off quick things, Graphic Converter does the job. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it it always amazes me. Really, actually, graphic converter. That in some ways you think perhaps you should have changed the name. Yes. <laughs> because, yes but then again, I guess he just you know once you've established it, that's what it is. Just yeah. keep on, keep yeah. on trucking. Got it. <laughs> As someone who's been using Photoshop since the early '90s, I am comfortable in Photoshop and do most of my editing there. But I still have a little bit of emotional problem paying the. Photoshop, paying the Adobe tax with the every month subscription. And one of the possible ways around that is to use Photoshop Elements, which you can buy. And for some features that they don't include in Photoshop Elements, Graphic Converter can do those for you, such as conversion into CMYK for printing on high-end web presses and so forth. So that's a possible solution to getting away from the Adobe tax. Mm. Yep, very, very much so. Um, you know, the other, the other popular choices, of course, at the minute, being um, Affinity Photo and um, the Pixelmator Pro, both of which yep. are. Oh, don't don't forget Luminar. I mean, that's. that's oh no! Well, that's no, who I've l- con- pr- pretty much converted over to now. I use that for almost everything. Lum- yeah, well, Luminar, of course, but. Um, Luminar is more of a, a sort of a Lightroom photographer's uh, photo manipulating tool, isn't it? And, um, yes. yes. It's, it's more pitched at, at that rather than your... I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't do uh, touch-ups and things because it does, but that's not its that's not its primary focus in the in the way that Photoshop or um, Affinity Photo or or the like are. But yeah, there there's lots of uh, there's lots of options out there for you know. As you say, um, Adobe Elements itself, which you can buy um, outright. So, yeah, um, the whole subscription thing is something, we, you know, it comes up fairly regularly. And um, 
I think the problem is if you're if you're a not a professional user, um, then paying a subscription for uh, most software, unless it, unless you feel that it's like a service, you know, it, I don't mind paying for my email from Proton Mail because obviously that's almost like a service. You use it all the time. Um, and at work, we don't object to paying um, subscriptions for Microsoft Office or, or the Creative Cloud. But then those are kind of in use eight hours a day. Um, as a home user, I think a lot of people find the idea of paying a subscription to use a tool like Photoshop, um, you know, uh, I don't know, just doesn't feel right somehow. Right. <laughs> I agree. This... Uh, this month, apparently, new data has come out saying that vinyl and CD sales are now more popular than iTunes downloads. I think the, 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 the key word there is downloads. I think what's happening is that the, the uh, world is switching to s- streaming music. And uh, I, I think that that is where the, those, the numbers are. Yes, that, that was that was my thought, uh, my initial thought. Uh, when I read this piece, um, which was on 9to5Mac. Right. Um my my thoughts were mm, downloads it's about yes downloads people shifted away from physical media um to buying you know music from itunes and downloading it into their own libraries but the world has moved on now and most people seem to be you know happy to pay a um yeah apple music does pretty much anything you want it to do um yeah people you know whine and complain about oh i don't like the interface and i don't you know but the point is that you think of a song, think of a song and I want to hear it right now. And ta-da, you can do it with uh, Apple music. So, so uh, I, I, I only have two friends that I know of now that still maintain that they want to own their own music, uh, physically own their own music. But uh, you know, the rest of us, I mean, I've got drawers full of CDs here that I'm not sure what to do with. (laughs) (laughs) They make good coasters for your coffee mugs. Oh dear. yeah, I, that was that was my thought uh, altogether. That the the money is moved to uh, streaming services, right. you know, Apple Music, Spotify, um, rather than um, away. And it, it's um, and the people who buy, you know, people who buy CDs or or vinyl, um, those sort of people who you know they like to collect that in its physical form. There's right. probably a certain percentage of people. Maybe they also have, um, you know, a streaming. Maybe they also have streaming, but they actually physically like collecting the, you know, the vinyl or whatever. Right. Um, so album, I think that's probably a sort of al- album art and and uh, uh, the the all of the the copy that was on them and so on and so forth. You know, we we miss all of that. Yeah, yeah, and the, there is a certain. Um, tactile pleasure i think in you know taking a a vinyl um record out of the sleeve and putting it on the turntable and and all that um and and then there's the whole you know analog music uh debate but um i think that's probably a fairly static market you know there are x number of people who like to do that and there will probably always be x number of people who like to do that but yeah. downloads has, has faded i think that's the that's the point there well well kurt since cds are more popular now you should be selling those on ebay or amazon <laughs> no kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true that's true oh dear 25 years uh, ago we moved from the east coast to the west coast and i had just piles of lps that i ended up giving to, to 
anybody who'd take them. You know? <laughs> and now I'm saying to myself, you know, some of those original vinyl things are pro- were probably worth a lot of money, but they're gone now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Although, um, interestingly, my daughter has, um, got into vinyl. Yep. Um, we got a grandchild, a granddaughter that's the, that's the same. She just absolutely loves vinyl. I think she did. I, I think it is. Yes. For her, it's a, it's a tactile thing of the, it, the, I mean, for me, I guess there's a certain amount of nostalgia in it when you do it. You <laughs> yes. sit down and no, certainly. Pick, pull up, you know, pull I up. A, um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I have a whole stack of vinyl uh, records, probably about three feet wide, if you put them that way, <laughs> and two turntables and a mixer to digitize them. And I never find the time to get around to doing that. Yep. <laughs> I did uh, the same thing. Uh, I, I used to have a nice uh, big stereo system with all the components and you know, it just filled up the whole uh, living room wall, and then I bought a home pod. And, <laughs> and our son said, "Oh, I'll take that stereo system, Dad." And I said, "Glad you got it." And well, that, now, that's... you know, just uh, my little home pod sits in my den here, and it just gives me all the music and and whatever I want to do with it, and it doesn't take up much more than a roll of toilet paper would. The uh, the the iPod was. Uh, um... One of the reasons that it was such a revolutionary product is that it sort of marked the end of the period where we would sit in the living room and listen to music out loud. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a foreign concept now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so, uh, you know, if we have been recently, uh, doing a lot of listening to, uh, uh full, a- full albums on Apple Music out loud in the living room. You know, and uh, it's uh, it's a it's a it's a very nice experience once again. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Actually, it's not something I thought of, but you you are right. The sort of the birth of the the iPod was very much, I think, the the, the beginning of the end of the teenager. You know, sitting in their bedroom playing their records right. out loud. You know, right. out very loud. Right. Oh, very loud. Yes, <laughs> turn that down. Yes. Get off my lawn. Got it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Use headphones. I also have uh, divested myself of my stereo component system, but I still have the stereo cabinet, one with the glass door in front. But on top, where the turntable used to be, is now a laser printer, and inside is a bunch of uh, external hard drives. (laughs) So uh, I've repurposed that part of it, but I didn't have to drag uh, my stereo components across the country as well the last time I moved. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's um quite strange, isn't it really? Quite a when you look back and you realize how things have changed. Um do you remember back when you got your first transistor radio? No. Maybe I'm showing my age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember my, my mom bought my sister and I uh, transistor radios for Christmas. They cost $125 a piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep, and those were big dollars back then. Those yeah. were big dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember at one point we I had a little radio that needed some repairs, and I took it into a little little uh, independent shop, and the guy sort of looked at it over the top of his glasses, and he said, "This must be one of those transistor gadgets." Yeah. <laughs> 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 <sighs> oh, right. Um. Well, talk, we were talking uh, talking about uh, gadgets and um, uh, 
you know, new form factors and uh, and the like. Did, did everybody, anybody see this uh, Nubia Alpha um, from Mobile World Congress? It's it's to do with the whole bendy phone thing, but this is um, like a they've bent it into a sort of a cuff <laughs> somewhere between a phone and a smartwatch. Watch. Oh God. Uh, there's been a couple of those that came along uh, over the past couple of years. The one, the last one I saw was like about three or four inches uh, lengthwise along your your wrist. But this one is a much much smaller uh, screen size. Cuff, yeah. Well, it, well, this one it actually is. I I don't know. It looks looking at it, it looks like it's probably and maybe an inch inch wide, but it wraps all the way round. <laughs> Um, like a cuff, apparently. Um, uh, you swipe up and down on the flexible screen to scroll between the various widgets of information like time and settings. The UI is so convoluted you want to take the alpha off and chuck it in the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it's a pretty hideous looking thing. Um, it's that, yeah. Oh, dear. No. So, so many products, so many products made because they can make them, not necessarily because it has any function. <laughs> oh, God. No. Well, pe- people have been talking about, you know, doing a, a, a you know, wrapping a, a sort of a, a screen like this round a, round a cuff and um, a bit like those snap bracelets that yes. were all the rage, you know, <laughs> sort of weird sprung thing in a, in a bit of polythene and you whack your wrist with it and it snaps around snaps into around, a yeah. bracelet. <laughs> Um, and that's exactly what this looks like, but it's hideous. It's and, and again, it's like yes, we can do it. Yes, but why would you want to? It's the stupidest right. idea ever. It, it looks like it has a uh, camera on it too. Oh yes, it has a camera, and it's um, it's got the whole lot. Um, Sounds like a cross between Batman's utility belt and Wonder Woman's cuffs that she uses. <laughs> unmashable here I'm all for new form factors but the alpha is just a prototype masquerading as a product the screen's durability doesn't inspire confidence Um, Nubia says the screen can be bent up to a hundred thousand times before it breaks oh dear Um, oh my goodness and it's selling at 450 euros which is about 510 US dollars Mm. Or alternatively, you could just go and get a decent Apple Watch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I won't tell you how much I paid for my 15-inch tablet. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. I know. <laughs> the guys know. <laughs> sure I, I got a 15-inch tablet that uh, has four wheels attached to it now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and an app that is... Mobile really- technology. <laughs> the app is free from the Apple Store, <laughs> but boy, does it cost a lot of money to use. Mm. That is true. There yeah. we go. Takes a lot of electricity to fill up the Tesla, too, doesn't it? Dave? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh, well, that's what? kind of the uh, the apple of the automobile industry right now with uh, Mr. Elon Musk. Uh, oh yes, very much so. It, and. Um, it, it's a fun did... machine. It's a fun machine. If you hadn't had a chance to test drive one of them, I'll tell you, you fall in love. Didn't and they um didn't they launch their Model Three this week? The, the thirty five thousand dollar Model Three has been launched. So yeah, yep, we should. And I think we got a lot of them coming over there across the pond right now. Uh, the little higher end one, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's my uh, my new Apple. 
<laughs> I think there's some similarities between Steve and Elon. <laughs> they live in a yeah. different world. But they just... do live in a different world. I think um I think it's probably true that pe- people like Elon and Steve and to some extent uh you know Jeff Bezos yeah. um they often end up with a thing you know saying not particularly nice people um but I think that there's a certain amount of that that you have to have yep. in order to, to to do what they do to build these companies to drive forward I think you have to have a certain amount of ruthlessness and a certain amount of um unpleasantness about yep. you <laughs> kind of goes with the territory I think yeah um, yeah it does and uh you know, I guess you wonder where uh, Apple would be today if we hadn't lost Steve. Uh, Tim's mm. doing a pretty good job of, of you know, managing it. Uh, but you, you ever think about it, you know, where was Steve headed and uh, how much of that uh, has been lost uh, when he passed on us? So, yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of um, interesting to think about, although um, quite a lot of people have said and I, I think I probably agree with them that, that uh, you know, Steve chose Tim to carry on the company for a good reason because he knew where Apple was going, you know, growing into this gargantuan um, corporation. And that has to be run by somebody who who understands how that works. Yeah. Right. And I don't think you can run Apple like a startup, although they, you know, they talk about doing that as best they can. But <laughs> I diverted by, by cost of what technology is doing today and the the phone business and yeah yep. Techno- technology is uh is still i think moore's law applies a lot but, but it all seems to apply to the dollar <laughs> <laughs> follow the money follow the money follow the money follow the money yeah you're too right yes but that's i don't know the thing about the cost of of devices is sometimes i think it's deceptive because you have to remember that you know uh Apple had products like the 2FX, which was $9,000. And that was when $9,000 was worth a lot more than $9,000 today. Um, Yeah, Yeah, Lisa was uh, was a really expensive machine. Yeah, well, the the Lisa was, what, $10,000? $10,000, yeah. Yeah, give or take. So, and then you extrapolate those back. I mean, I don't know what you're talking now, $25,000 or something? Yeah. (laughs) You know, yeah. So then you you look at that and you think, well, proportionately has, you know, proportionately, I think, on the whole, uh, technology has just got more and more powerful and cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and then probably will continue to carry on doing so to some extent. Um, right. Well, what else have we got, boys? Um, Microsoft's CEO, Satya Nadella, um, has been taking the same stance on privacy as Tim Cook, uh, according to the Mac Observer, by the way. Um, not surprised to hear it to some extent. Um, Microsoft under Satya Nadella is not the Microsoft uh, your father knew, as it were. That's true. <laughs> At the Mobile World Congress, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella echoed publicly the notions of Apple's Tim Cook on customer privacy. Uh, Nadella's Microsoft seems to be moving in a similar direction as the old guard of more responsible technologists join forces to combat the unintended consequences of tech firms that have moved fast and loose in their treatment and support of user privacy. So there you go. Um, probably the right thing to be saying, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Would, all, the, I, uh, all the leaks, all the, uh, the problems that have been happening here in the past few years, 
<laughs> I think you need to do that. I think so very much. Um, and related to that, as it happens, the EFF have launched a campaign called Fix It Already uh, to push Apple and other tech companies for change. Um, the, um, they've basically um, put up a set of uh, demands, uh, which is at fixitalready.eff.org, um, and they are asking, uh, for example, Android should let users deny and revoke apps' internet permissions. Um, Apple should let users encrypt their iCloud backups. Facebook should leave your phone number where you put it, apparently. Actually, I think Facebook should just stop being scumbags, which is probably what they should put there. Slack should give free accounts control over retention. Uh, Twitter should end-to-end encrypt all direct messages. Um, Venmo should let people hide their friends lists. Um, Verizon should stop pre-installing spyware on users' phones. Um, WhatsApp should get your consent before you're added to a group. Um, and Windows 10 should let users keep their disk encryption keys to themselves. Now there's a, there's a wish list. Yeah. Mm, so there we go. That's the Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation and their uh, fix-it-already demands. Um, Apple, apparently, uh, to follow on on that, Apple, Tim Cook has said that he uh, actually agrees with that and that is something they're looking into. So there we go. I'm not sure that any of the others would be so compliant. Right. So data on your Apple device is encrypted so no one but you can access it. That's great for privacy. When the data is backed up to the cloud, it is encrypted so that Apple and not just the user can uh, can access it. This makes the backups vulnerable to government requests and third-party hacking. Um, Tim Cook already thinks encrypting iCloud backups is a good idea and wants to implement it in the future. Um, The future is now, Tim. Some users might find it helpful for Apple to be able to recover their backups when they forget their passwords, but that's not true for everybody. It's time to let users choose security and encrypt their iCloud backups so only they have the key. I think that's... Yeah, there's there's lots of situations where... uh, the user is really responsible for remembering passwords. So that's nothing new. So this is kind of a nanny state situation where Apple is saying, well, we want to help you if you forget your password. Whereas in many other cases, including in Apple, if you forget your uh, password for like your encrypted uh, iTunes backup of your iOS devices, you're just out of luck. Yep. Yep. That is true. Um, But there we go. Um, That's one. So Apple have, have said, they're uh, interested in doing that. Um, I don't know what the others are, uh, how they've responded. Um, the link is in the show notes if you want to follow it. Um, yeah. What else have we got here, boys? Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Xfinity mobile pins have been left set to 0000, by default, according to Engadget. Um, and uh, this has already resulted in people getting hacked, apparently. Yes, they should not be doing that, but then at the same time, um, if you've bought, uh, you know, something from Xfinity and its pin is 0000, should you not have changed it? Um, not the brightest thing in the world to leave something set by default, is it, really? No. <laughs> yes, bad, bad Xfinity, but foolish of anybody to leave it set to that, if you yeah. want my honest opinion. Yep. Yeah. This one... Um, 
has come up as well. The uh, iPhone and Android hacking tool used by the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security uh, can be found on sale on eBay for a little as $100, according to uh, 9to5Mac. Now, um, this is kind of vindication of the nothing-ever-stays-secret um, argument, I think you would say. Um, you know, when... Um, when the US government, um, the FBI or whatever, were pushing for keys to, um, you know, be able to get at bad people's data from their phones. Um, but, uh, you know, Celebrite and whatnot have all said, oh, well, these machines we've made, they'll be safe with us because only, you know, legal uh, and approved people will be able to have them. Well, um, you know, guess what? You can buy a second-hand one on eBay for $100. Um, no. My understanding was that Apple pretty much defeated what those machines were doing. Maybe that's why they're a hundred bucks now. Uh, yes. Well, I have it. Um, this came up. Um, obviously, it's still it's still very bad that these things are available to all and sundry on the you know open market right. for a hundred dollars. That's proof of why you shouldn't let such things. Uh, you know. Well, that's um, true. But um, I have it on good authority from. Uh, at Dougie in the Slack room, our digital forensics man, that, yes, effectively, these things are worthless. Um, if you buy one for $100 as, as a toy, be aware that, effectively, it's useless on anything later than a 4S. Um, and, uh, yeah, so to yeah. some extent, uh, you know, to some extent, it's not as bad as it might seem, but it's still uh, very poor that such things are available in trading hands um, because we were promised they wouldn't. And, like, we all knew... That was going to be cobblers. Yep. So there we are. Um, and now I think, um, well, we've been going a, a moderate amount of time, boys. So um, shall we wrap up then with this story, which I think Bob uh, put in there, which is the EU copyright, the dreaded Article 13 and 11. That, for anybody who, who doesn't know, Article 13 is the EU's copyright directive, which... Um, the final version was agreed uh, after some talks in France. Um, I don't know about this. This is a this is one of those things where it seems to me like the uh, intention is good and the uh, reasoning is that they want to help um, you know copyright holders make sure that they are treated um, fairly. But the implementation strikes me as. Uh, probably badly thought out and um, likely to not do what they hope. Um, yeah, I think well, I've I think heard. The, the problem is that right now it just amazes me that there's so many websites, uh, news sites especially, that all they do is accumulate uh, stories from other websites that actually did the reporting or the research and uh, they don't do any actual original uh, stories themselves. They just quote other people. And that's, I think, part of why this came to to uh, fruition is because the people that did the work and, you know, dug into these different topics um, are basically being plagiarized. Yes. Um, yeah, I, this is this is the problem. I think um, Article 13 states that content sharing services must license copyright protected material from the original rights holders. Um, if that is not possible, material is posted on the service. The company may be held liable unless it can demonstrate that it did its best to get permission from the copyright holder 
It made best efforts to ensure that material um, is not made available. It acted quickly to remove infringing material. Um, the the problem here is, I think that I I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, there are lots of uh, of these sort of aggregator services where they take other people's work and just publish it. Um, there's also um, you know quite a lot of uh, stolen you know copyright infringing material uh, put up on sites like youtube and uh, the like um but i just i don't really know how you go about tackling that effectively the what they're proposing seems to be to put the liability on the big internet companies um or service providers but i just I don't know. I, I, Google and and various other people are against it because they say it it's going to it's going to shut down you know everything from memes to um, people posting pictures you know to Twitter. I I don't know. It's a very difficult um, yeah it, subject. I have to agree. It, it sounds like even even this podcast here that we're doing right now. Uh, you know, who's to say that somebody in here is saying, "Well, gee, you didn't get the license for me to talk about what we just got done talking about." Some mm. BC, you know, and take you down. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of scary. It's um. Well, well, if you look at the music industry right now, look at radio stations. They pay um, various organizations. I think there's just a couple of them a license fee for any music that 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 they play. So the same type of situation could be set up for internet content, where you just go to a like a service bureau, I guess, and you pay a license fee and it covers, you know, everybody instead of having to, you know, go out and pay each individual content creator. Yeah. yeah the, the problem I see with that um, is at least with um, with music and to some extent, I guess, with things like films, you're dealing with a sort of a closed pool to a large extent, aren't you? You can have an, an industry body that collects collects these license fees and then distributes them, I don't know, amongst the various record companies and record producers and whatnot. Um, but it is effectively a closed pool, whereas if you're, I don't know, if you're, say, uh, YouTube, stuff is coming from everywhere. <laughs> do you see what I mean? How do, yeah. how would... Um, how, how, how do you, you police it? How do you moderate it? How do you, yeah, how do you, and how do you decide what is, um, you know, what is original artistic content and what is just a, you know, I mean, my daughter puts, um, makes videos and puts on, um, on YouTube, you know, the sort of typical YouTube thing, talking about the makeup she's bought or clothes she's seen, that sort of thing, and puts it up as a little show. So, you know, there are millions upon millions of people doing that. How do you, if, somebody takes a piece of that show and reuses it how <laughs> how do you how do you you know because te technically that show is copyright of my daughter she made yeah. it she put yeah. it on youtube um and then it, a, it, it, on this podcast she says well this particular makeup i don't particularly like um then is that does that open the door to somebody saying hey you, you you're denigrating my product <laughs> yeah this is you know <laughs> So anyway, on this article, it says Article 13 is the part of the EU Copyright Directive covering how online content sharing services should deal with copyright uh, content. Um, it refers to services primarily existing to give the public access to protected works or other protected subject matter uploaded by users. Um, 
There is a long list of exemptions, however, which include non-profit online encyclopedias, i.e. Wikipedia, that is, isn't it? Open source software development platforms, cloud storage services, online marketplaces and communication services. Um, th then again, these things are all, again, open to another layer of interpretation, aren't they? Yeah. It's, you know, is, is, um, is Twitter a communication service or not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, is Facebook an online marketplace? Um, no, I don't know. Uh, obviously, we will have to see what happens. I think, I mean, it's not actually law yet. Um, I think it's being voted on um, shortly. Yeah, um, this, it's either going to be this month or March or, or April when they're going to do the final vote. Um, as I say, I, I believe its intention was, was good. It said the EU wished to make copyright rules fit for a digital age. Um, I, I just don't think the implementation has been thought through. Um, they've done some very good things, you know, the EU um, on, in the online space, but I'm, I think this one could end up being a sledgehammer to crack a lawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, another another uh, part of this is this is only the EU, so this is not going to restrict uh, countries in the other parts of the world, which is, you know, going to hurt uh, companies in the EU that are doing Internet businesses. And just shift them into a, a country that doesn't have these regulations. Mm, yeah, um, I, I have no idea what's going to come out of that. Um, I guess it's one of those we just have to wait and see what happens. And no doubt it will, uh, if it goes through, it will all have to be, be tested in, you know, courts of law all the way up to the uh, highest courts available. Um, and we'll drag yep. on for years, no doubt. And, and the uh, intellectual property attorneys will be the ones that are going to be profiting from all right. this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, the only people who are going to get fat on that one are lawyers, I yes. think. <laughs> well, right then. Um, I think we'll call that a show, boys. So uh, thank you all for coming on and contributing. And uh, I, this is the bit where we all sort of promote ourselves. So uh, shall we take it from the top? Uh, Bob, uh, where can people find you? Well, they can find my photography at my photography website, which is dangerousbob.photography. I would also like to uh, say that we should mention tmug.com, the Tucson Macintosh user group uh, website. Uh, if you are in the southeastern Arizona area, come and, uh, come and see what we're all about. Finally, I'd like to do a shout out to another Tucson troublemaker, uh, John Nemo, who wanted to be with us, was unable to uh, get the time. I think Mrs. Nemo kind of controls the calendar there. Um, <laughs> so hi, John, and uh, we missed you. Yeah, well, we're also uh, missing John ourselves this week because there's no hardware store for exactly the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, so uh, I'll put that in the show notes. So that's uh, dangerousbob.photography. Is that correct? Correct. correct. And the T-Bug um, is, what was that again, Bob? T-Mug.com. T-Mug.com. Okay, so I'll put those in the show notes. Uh, Roger, where can people find you? Well, on the social media, I'm go for tech Okay, there we go. So let's go for tech Okie dokie. Um, Kurt? I'm azkurt. Doc. And uh, social media is azkurt. Okay. Arizona, azkurt. Right. Azkurt on, yeah, and azkurt.com. Well, that's easy, isn't it? And David? Well, I'm uh, I'm over on the uh, on the Twitter, 
and uh, you can find me at dmacklum at dmacklum1. Okay. And uh, other than that, we forgot to mention uh, Roger's still doing the uh, the Facebook page there for the Teague Mug people. So okay, I'll visit our Facebook that. page too. And okay, Teague Mug on Facebook. And, Roger uh, and David. Yeah, I, I generally do try to put stuff up there now, but uh, you know, I got my new toy, so you'll find me on Twitter mainly with the Tesla people. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, instead of putting a Apple sticker on the rear window of your Tesla, are you going to be putting a Tesla sticker on the back of your iPad? <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. <laughs> they do make a Tesla uh, iPhone case, <laughs> but Jeez. like everything else uh, Elon does, it's too expensive. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, and David, of course, uh, last time you were on, you were talking also about your um, space uh interests with the uh with the university uh, right the osiris yeah. rex mission and uh yes that uh, of course they they have been in orbit now with uh, the asteroid banner and uh you can follow them uh oh i don't have their link now just google osiris rex uh it's an exciting uh mission to an asteroid the spacecraft uh, team is uh, led by uh uh, Professor Dante Loretti out here at the University of Arizona, and uh, they'll be spending a couple of years uh, studying this asteroid, and then they're going to come down and grab a little sample and bring it back to Earth. So it'll get here in about 2023. Uh, so check check that out. Yep, that's a very interesting mission. I've been keeping an eye on that. Uh, right, let, and let uh, me give you one more plug here. We just had the premiere of the uh, GPS documentary within the Air Force hierarchy. And it is still available on Amazon Prime. So if you're a Prime member, it's free. Look up the Lonely Halls meeting. It's the documentary on the development of what we take for granted today, the Global Positioning System, or GPS. Yep. Uh, I saw that, obviously. It's a very interesting uh, documentary. And uh, for anybody who hasn't uh, listened to it, I also have um, an interview with David uh a few months back, uh, just scroll back through the um, Essential Apple pages and you will find it under From Obscurity to Ubiquity. Um, and you can hear uh, David telling me all about it on uh, that show. So, um, I am on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. And uh, the show is, of course, at Essential Apple, and all our stuff is at EssentialApple.com. Uh, and I think that's probably about it. So uh, thank you, everybody, for coming on the show. Um, and we'll all just say goodbye, shall we? Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks, Simon. Adios. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website EssentialApple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with 
Tim and David, the Nintendo Club podcast, the geekiest show ever, the three geeky ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Yeah, I think just a straight ad, don't you? Yeah. Like what? What would we say? Like tech fan podcast uh, or? Are you Are you interested in technology and gadgets? Uh huh. Do you um, want to listen to two guys who know technology and gadgets? Are we claiming to be those guys? Yes. <laughs> well, there, there we go. Are we claiming to be that be those guys? You be the judge. Tech fan podcast. No. That'll work. Let's yeah. use that as yeah. an ad. Apple Podcasts. Goodbye and thank you for listening.